Yeah, I think alternative media came back strong, and this might be counterintuitive, I don't know, but I think alternative media came back strong in 21. It's just everything else came back even stronger. The weight of like every night on WCCO, a two-minute story that uh, felt woefully out of context would like blow everything away. And again, if you're you're reading the Reformer, or you're reading Sahan Journal, or listening to Wedge Live, like you you probably have a diverse media diet that you're consuming. You have a little more nuanced view of the world than the average person who is uh you know has downloaded the Citizen app to keep track of what's going on in their neighborhood and is maybe tuning right. in occasionally to the TV news. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the Wedge neighborhood right now, 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 Should I should I introduce the show? Yeah, you may as well get that in because I know you forget that sometimes. I do, yeah. We're we're together again for the first time since the election results in Minneapolis, which I think was like two weeks ago. Almost two weeks ago. Jason Garcia, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me, John. I'm glad to be back from the other end of the wedge. I'm your host, John Edwards. This is the Wedge Live podcast. We're waiting for Taylor to join us. Taylor is a uh, rose to prominence through 2021 as an investigative journalist. She uncovered the Mickey Moore story, I think. That's her yeah. claim to fame. Yeah, she's even been credited by some some non-Star Tribune news sources for her uh, her role in uncovering the malfeasance of Mickey Moore. Should we talk about the outcome of the election? We can't wait for Taylor all night. Sure. So this is the part where I talk about how I feel bad. I, I felt bad all through the election. I continue to feel bad. Uh, the results have made me feel worse. I'm not, I'm not feeling so good. You know, the park board, uh, complete, we got completely demolished on the park board. That's, that's just a horrible situation on the park board, I think. Uh, city council, we, we gained a few on the left. Progressive, some progressive council members were replaced by, some would argue, even further left council members. Uh, Elliot Payne replaced a conservative, more conservative council member uh, in Kevin Reich in Ward 1. So the balance of power has shifted. Michael Rainville, that that was really soul-crushing for me, seeing Michael Rainville win in Ward 3. Emily Kosky defeated a really good council member, uh, Jeremy Schrader, in Ward 11. That, that was tough, too. Philippe Cunningham lost to Latricia Vitaw. So it has shifted. Uh, the, the center of power on the council has shifted a little bit to the right. I think you're going to be looking towards Andrew Johnson and Andrea Jenkins Jenkins. Nothing gets done without, without it meeting their approval. They're kind of in the middle of the deciders now, I think. 
right? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, um, obviously things could have gone much better Mm -hmm. in terms of progressive victories. Um, Things could have been worse. Um, I will definitely point that out. Um, We did get some wins as far as, um, you know, Ward 9, Ward uh, 10. Those really held with progressive votes. Uh, Ward 2 will stay a progressive Mm -hmm. seat. Um, and you know, like you said, I think a lot is going to hinge on Andrew Johnson and Andrea Jenkins. Um, Jamal Osman was kind of a wild card leading, running up to the election. It's one way to put Uh, it. Yeah. As far as, you know, voting to override the mayor's veto and things like that. Um, so, you know, having that kind of trio, as, as your swing votes creates a very interesting dynamic, um, you know, with Michael Rainville, like you said, and Emily Kosky bringing back some of the traditional Minneapolis dynasties, um, as well as, you know, Latricia, all everyone on that, that side, you know, also including Lisa Goodman and Lene Palmasano, just raked in cash from the landlord and development lobbies. So, you know, it's really very easy to see where their, their interests are. Yeah. That's another thing. So much money. You've got the, the mayor's pack, all of Minneapolis raised $1.6 million up until like the end of October. That was the total they had raised. Who knows what they actually spent. Uh, all the more conservative candidates raised a ton of money. I yeah. I didn't even have time to look at the finance reports. There was so much money, and it must have been coming from a lot of the same places. Yes. The money, the <clears throat> the pro business downtown money, really was flowing. Felt felt like they knew who they wanted. They were donating to all the same candidates to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, looking at a lot of the the finance reports, especially reviewing um, Jacob Fry's finance report, as well as all of Minneapolis, you saw all of the same donors, the same big development or developers, um, the same big landlord groups, um, and then especially if you look at um, the money that. Well, I think I calculated it out and all of Minneapolis and um, Jacob Fry's campaign spent uh, about $2.1 million. Um, and that's, as you said, up to the, the last finance report release. Um, and then the Sensible Housing Ballot Committee, which is the landlord and development group that was pushing against uh, question three, as well as the St. Paul rent stabilization question, uh, spent over $4 million. Right. That's that's the hilarious outcome is how much money they spent to lose. Yes. Uh, that's, that's not money well spent. They, they have run, they ran a fairly high profile campaign, but nothing compared to the millions they spent on this. They ran a campaign against uh, a tenant protections thing in Minneapolis a couple of years ago. You may remember the yard signs. I forget what they said, but that fell flat too. It, it appears yeah. to me that people don't trust their landlords to tell them how to vote. 
Yeah, I think, you know, that's fair, especially if you can um, message something as direct as rent stabilization or tenant protections. There are a lot, it's really hard to sell people on voting against those things, no matter how much money you spend on mailers and signs outside of all of your uh, multi-unit holdings and things like that. Yeah, it, it occurred to me seeing all the Chris Parsons, who was a ward, who was a long forgotten Ward 10 candidate uh, who lost. I, I hope people appreciate that this uh, election wrap up is coming weeks after the election results. I think people are going to get some wisdom out of it. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, everyone will just be glad to know that you are, you know, not uh, so not just. Yes, well, that you're still alive and not just a recluse in a basement somewhere. Yeah, I, I wanted to be. That, that's how bad I felt after the election. I really, and I still feel bad. But back to my point about Chris Parsons, his, his signs had been paired up with a property owner who owned a bunch of properties in the Wedge. And luckily, this landlord had yard signs to advertise their LLC name or their company name and would put them right next to the Chris Parsons yard sign so you could tell all of Chris Parsons' support in the wedge was entirely landlords who don't live in Minneapolis, probably. And we've also said goodbye to the Chris Parsons billboard on Hennepin Avenue in Wharton. I don't know if you've noticed that. I know you live on Hennepin Avenue now. I don't, were you a fan I do. of the Chris Parsons billboard? It's gone now. Um, <laughs> I was not a fan. Um, but fortunately, I didn't see it very much, you know, from... From covered, any place that trees. I was, yeah, it was. It wasn't a very good investment, I think, for for Chris Parsons. Um, and I hope that you know none of his family threatens me with violence for saying that. Speaking of someone who spent a whole lot of money and wasted a whole lot of money, Chris Parsons. Yeah, and and as you predicted, um, got fewer votes than an inferior candidate in Alicia Gibson. Did I predict that? You did. I think I. You said that you, you felt bad for him because he was going to go through all of this and get fewer votes right. than an inferior candidate in Alicia Gibson. It's true. It, it turned out the DFL order held the convention order. It was uh, Aisha number one, Katie two, at least on the first ballot, uh, Alicia three, right. Chris Parsons four, and David Wheeler, who last time you listened to this podcast, we were talking to David Wheeler. Yeah. And I mean, what, what's the opposite of, of a wedge live bump? I think that you gave him a, the wedge live, uh, uh, I don't know, regression, regression I to the meeting. I, I would not be surprised if we added to David Wheeler's total though. I think I enjoyed that episode a lot. I like talking to David Wheeler. It's kind of it was a, it, it, Yeah. It was a very interesting episode as far as, um, you know, seeing your personality where you you really don't like to be mean to anyone, no matter how much of a fool they're making of themselves. Was I nice to David Wheeler? I, I can never tell if I'm being nice to people or if I'm secretly being mean. I, just, I don't even know myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you are well known for your negativity. Um, oh. But but I felt like you were you were very polite with David and you really gave him a lot more uh um, leeway 
than than many of your co-hosts would have. Although I, I you kind of feel bad listening to David Wheeler. Like there was a point where he, and now now we're just devolving into talking about previous episodes. <laughs> 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 if you didn't enjoy the two week old election results, I'm sure you'll enjoy the recap of the David Wheeler yeah. episode. But you, you <laughs> went into this, make a clip show. Yeah, he went into this uh thing where he's talking about all the dirty dirty stuff he knows about other candidates. <laughs> and I asked him <laughs> I asked him if he wanted to name names. He's like, No. That would be it's like he he knows his boundaries. Listen, I know a lot of garbage about, about other candidates. And I have decided that uh, that's not how I want to deal with it. He felt like he yeah. was, he was re- you know, admonishing me. Like, I didn't say I know dirty stuff and I won't tell you what it is. Like, voters, voters deserve to know, David Wheeler. I think that's no, no, voters no, no, deserve no, to know. John, John, this is where you and I completely disagree. I, I was telling you about good boundaries and I have good boundaries. I feel like the implication yeah. that you know dirty stuff about the other candidates and you won't name names, you won't say what it is, that feels a little dirty to me. Yeah. I you mean, just, yeah, that's that's the most grade school thing of being like, oh, I know something you don't know, but I'm not going to say what it is. It's just pointless. Like, why, why say anything then, David? Why say yeah. anything? I feel like our personalities really go well together in the sense that they don't go well together at all. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you seem to have a lot of confusion in your voice when he was speaking. Um, (laughs) there was a lot of incredulity, a lot of just being uncertain of whether any of this was actually happening to you. Yeah. I, I like people who take themselves extremely seriously because they, they don't get the joke, and then that becomes the joke. Right. Yeah, it's perfect. It was fun. I knew he would be great, and he lived up to my expectations. Yeah. Did, do you have any regrets of candidates that you wish you would have had on but didn't? You know, maybe maybe somebody like Chris Parsons or Alicia Gibson. I don't know. I, I was... I was conflicted on that because I felt like those conversations could potentially just go bad and I could have a really bad time and just not enjoy it at all. Cause I want to talk to people who I can have an actual conversation with and not just like face off and be mad at them the whole time. So I, I don't know if having more people on that I just like disagree with a ton would be productive, interesting. I don't know. When I was listening to the, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but my, my habit for consuming the wedge log podcast is that I will listen to the episode on my commute to work. Um, and, and home usually takes me like two days to listen to the whole thing. And then I will watch the video version. Um, Dedication. Yeah. And while I was listening to the David Wheeler episode, I was thinking about if I were in your shoes, how difficult it would have been for me to, to not just like run circles around him about things, you know, like, cause he, he is very, you know, he, he's a politician, I think from a different time. And, and there's certainly some value in that and hearing his thoughts and his opinions on the way things are now versus 
how they were in his heyday and yeah you know how you know he said if he lost this this election that he wasn't going to run for anything again and things like that um but i was trying to think of like what what candidate i would put myself in that position with to what somebody who i could you know let talk about their ideas and things like that without arguing with them or contradicting them or things like that and it's a really interesting thought experiment to like run through all of the candidates and i think that for me it would have had to have been someone like kevin reich right who just doesn't have a whole lot out there and i would just want them to be just just to try to get them to commit to saying anything the thing about kevin you know? reich is he he doesn't like stake out uh right. like provocative positions there's no personality there there's nothing to work with david wheeler has a personality kevin That's reich w- would tend to like say a lot of words it would turn into a filibuster thing. You would never have anything to hold on to, to challenge him on. You'd just kind of have to move on to the next thing. Uh, I don't, I don't think that would be an interesting thing to Kevin Reich is not an interesting person to listen to really. Yeah, that's fair. I think he's Um, a smart person. There's just nothing there. Sure. What do you think about like Lene Palmasano? If you had had her on, how, how would that? Have that been? would have been very frustrating. She's she will, she's a Dodger. Again, not somebody who's stupid, but uh, I don't. I don't think that would be very satisfying. No. There's a balance. I mean, there's a balance you have to play, though. Going back to what you said about, uh, you know, wanting to run circles around someone and challenge them on everything. I don't think you can do a thing where you're like, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. It, you end up looking like an asshole or sounding like an asshole for 60 minutes telling them everything they said was wrong. You kind of have to pick your spots and hope that your audience is smart enough to to understand that something ridiculous was just said. Yeah. You know, I, one of the other things that happened through the course of this election that I found to be interesting was um, obviously, you know, I was fortunate enough to be on several episodes with you talking to candidates and things like that, um, talking about issues. And then you had many, many candidates on, you know, pretty much, you know, at least one candidate from every office being run. Um as far as city council and mayor. And in several cases, you had multiple um, candidates on. So you really had a lot of people on. And one thing that was interesting to me was fairly late in the election cycle. I think it was probably mid late September. Somebody was like, you know, I think um, you you guys should try to get Jeremy Schrader on, on the podcast. And, Sorry, my dog's barking. Um, You know, you should try to get Jeremy Schrader on the podcast because I don't think his campaign is going very well and things like that. And I was like, you know that there was already an episode with Jeremy Schrader on, right? Right. And and, um, that we also unanimously endorsed him in our endorsement episode. Right. Um, 
And then they were like, well, you know, you should really go after Emily Kosky for, for these things. And I was like, well, here are all the tweets and things like that where <laughs> John has gone after Emily Kosky. Um, and I'm like, I get that, you know, as people, especially in the, the Minneapolis Twitter left, feel like, you know, the, the Wedge Live beacon is this, you know, broad blazing light that spreads across Minneapolis. Um and that, you know, you you have a, a very large following and very dedicated following, for sure. But I was just like, you know, it might do you more good to, you know, help raise some money for, for Jeremy's campaign or go knock some doors instead of relying on this podcast to be right. the thing that crushes Emily Kosky, because I don't think that's how it's going to work. Yeah, to paraphrase our newly reelected strong mayor... A well placed tweet isn't really going to do it. I think that I think that's a fry thing, right? Something about well placed tweets. Yeah, we got to move past yeah. the hashtags and the well placed tweets. There, there is a yeah. limitation to, uh, you know, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. Not that I'm a preacher. Yeah. I'm a straight newsman, <laughs> but uh, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, and the other thing is, I think that one of the things that we will have to interrogate is the effectiveness of, you know, quote unquote progressive media when the entire weight of the legacy media is tilting the other way. Um, yeah. You know, having the, the reformer or Sahan journal publishing articles or, you know, Wedge Live putting out podcasts and um, endorsements and information, you know, that those things are very valid. And I think that they serve a purpose, but relying on just saying like, oh, we now there's the reformer or there is Sahan Journal that is covering these things. That's not a, you know, that's not enough in itself to counter the weight of the star tribunes unethical reporting and ridiculous endorsements and slanted headlines. Yeah. I think alternative media came back strong and this might be counterintuitive. I don't know, but I think alternative media came back strong in 21. It's just everything else came back even stronger. The weight of like every night on WCCO a two minute story that uh, felt woefully out of context would like blow everything away. And again, if you're, you're reading the reformer or you're reading Sahan journal or listening to wedge live, like you, you probably have a diverse media diet that you're consuming. You have a little more nuanced view of the world than the average person who, is, uh, you know, has downloaded the Citizen app to keep track of what's going on in their neighborhood and is maybe tuning right. in occasionally to the TV news. And uh, it's it's hard to blame those people for not having a very nuanced view of, of what Question 2 was about, for example, or having no idea that the Strongmare thing was on the ballot or what that would do. So, again, it, it's good to see things like the reformer they 
Maybe yeah. did did a ton of good work, and I think that bodes well for the future. But this year, you had a lot of local news, the traditional media paying attention to city politics to a degree that they would not in a normal year. Right. And I think that was a bad thing. <laughs> it turned out, like people say high turnout is a good thing. Well, it turns out it can be a not great thing if that turnout has been activated by uh, right. an overconsumption of really just very superficial, not always factually inaccurate, but like woefully inadequate news stories about what's happening in the world. Right. And especially, you know, I, I think Ashley Fairbanks and David Brower and other people, you know, maybe including you had um, made a lot of points to warn people on the progressive side of the, the Minneapolis Twitter sphere, you know, that things weren't as good as they were hoping and not to get your hopes up and things like that um, to, you know, maybe tamp down your expectations and things. Um, and I think, you know, that that's very valid because, um, you know, obviously all social media creates bubbles and things like that. Um, and when you look at even social media like the Citizen app and Nextdoor and things like that, that, you know, Nextdoor publishes straight police press releases onto their their everyone's feeds and things like that. Um, and then when you have a police force that is increasingly politicized and a police chief who is willing to step well outside the ethics of that position to campaign for certain candidates and certain outcomes. Um, you know, it's really difficult. There's only so much that wedge live or the reformer or Sahan journal or, you know, anybody can really do to, push back on that. Um, it's, you know, it feels like trying to hold back the tide with a sandcastle. So what we're really saying is we got to hope that, uh, WCCO just goes back to not caring about city politics. That's our only hope. Right. And that, you know, the star tribune op-eds or editorial board is, um, goes back to ignoring Minneapolis. Yes. All your editorial board members are from the suburbs, so go go talk about the suburbs for a while. Leave us alone. Yeah, exactly. So re- redistricting is ongoing. That's the thing that's yeah. happening now. I think people should pay attention. I don't know if this episode is going to air before Wednesday's public hearing. Wednesday the 17th, there's a public hearing. There's going to be another one in December, but all the city park board districts and city council wards are going to be redrawn based on the 2020 census numbers. So that's that's a big deal. Ward boundaries are changing. There was a little bit of a controversy about whether recently elected council members' home addresses should be considered in the redistricting process. The Charter Commission's redistricting group decided they would be taken into consideration. But you should... Uh, Check out Wedge Live on Twitter. Look at the maps that they're they're dealing with right now and decide if you have strong opinions that you'd like to 
to voice because again, these this is these maps are a big deal. The 2023 city council election is going to be held based on these maps. So, you know, get involved in that. Also, please apply to the Charter Commission. 10 of 15 seats, according to David Brower, are up in 2022. I, I want to see a younger, more diverse Charter Commission because right now it's 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 kind of it's it's very old, very white. A lot of them are homeowners. I think geographically, it's a lot of people from South Minneapolis. Yeah, I uh, I saw a picture. It was like a collage of the Portland Charter Commission because they're looking at their government structure, Portland, Oregon, and it's a like shockingly a lot of people of color. It's very young. It's. Hmm. It was a bizarre experience for me to see a charter commission that was not uh, extremely old and white. Wow. So let, yeah, let, I mean, let's, let's do that. And it's a Hennepin County's chief judge appoints the charter commission. So please, when the applications come out, find it. If you want, if you want information or advice, you can contact me, uh, newsroom at Wedge Live, or DM me uh, on Twitter. I want to see a better, more representative charter commission. Yeah. Are there any people in particular that you're thinking of that you hope apply? You know, uh, there's this Jonathan Kim guy. I, I shouldn't even say because for all I know, that'll be the a death sentence for their, their candidacy. <laughs> you can, there's, you can just bleep that out. There are several, like, they're not even that young. Uh, Jonathan Kim may be very young, but they're like not super old. And uh, on this redistricting group I'm talking about, Jonathan Kim is one of the members. Uh, I, and again, I'm not going to say names because that might just hurt their candidacy. But seeing sure. seeing people on the redistricting group interacting with commissioners and like realizing, hey, there's an alternative to the opinions of the the existing commission members. I you know I wish the charter commission itself operated like that little more energy like another thing to having it be a lot of older people and i don't want to i don't know if this is a slur check me jason if this is a slur against older americans but like dan cohen is nearly 90 years old uh you know there's not a lot of energy on the charter commission sure there there's something to be said for youthful vigor let's say yeah and certainly there are definitely older people who are still vigorous, but true. I, w- I would agree with you that watching the, uh, the charter commission in action does not make me think that there are many of those people on the commission currently. Yeah. I mean, Barry Clegg is probably 70 or something. He, he's on top of it. He knows what's going on. Uh, yeah. I don't happen to agree with him a lot of the time, but and and so many of them have been on for multiple decades. Andrew Kozak is a charter commission member. He was talking about he had been a part of like four of the last five reapportionment redistricting processes. That's like half a century. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It's time to move on. Make space for, you know, somebody yeah. who isn't a lobbyist, somebody who hasn't been doing this for 50 years or 40 years. Yeah. I mean, I think I I hope that a lot of people, um, much like you said, uh, throw their hats in the ring, 
that, you know, this becomes a case where they're, they're met with just an incredible number of candidates to have to kind of sift through. Although, you know, there's always the possibility that since it's just an appointment by a judge that that judge is going to say, well, no, I, I know Barry Clegg and Barry Clegg will, will go right back on the commission. And And, yeah. And you don't even have to get rid of Barry Clegg. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I'd love to get rid of Barry Clegg, but you want to keep some institutional memory around, that's fine. Barry Clegg is is sharp, has a lot to offer the world in terms of his knowledge and experience, but replace some of them. I don't know if we have to do a letter-writing campaign to the judge and say, like, this is not working. What you're doing is not working. Please consider some different criteria when you're appointing people because you're, you're getting one point of view. Maybe uh, later this winter we should do a, a, a podcast with David Brower about this process. And, we should. And, uh, you know, you know who would have been excellent to, to talk to about this is Ooh. your old friend, Steve Brandt. Steve Brandt. Yeah. Why, why would he be excellent? Has he, I guess, I mean, he's an old journalist. I mean, he, yeah, he is also <laughs> much like David Brower is an old journalist. Um, but he also covered, you know, the inner workings of the city a lot that is, you know, that's, that's what he claimed on your podcast. And, you know, he would be, I think, a good resource as well, just in terms. And I mean, he's probably seen many of the the current um, commission members in action for decades. Let's hope that the Hennepin County Chief Judge listen, listens to the Wedge Live podcast. Who has has have has anybody told you like oh yeah I'm I'm a big fan of your podcast or I listen to your podcast Never. that has surprised you? No, no one ever says that. Really? <laughs> That's uh, fair. A no, lot of people like, don't want to admit it. So I do occasionally get recognized on the street. That's happening more often, which is kind of odd. And it, sometimes it's very weird interactions. Like they will say. They will like point at me and go wedge live. And then I'll like try to engage them in conversation, like get to know them a little, but they just keep walking. Like they have no interest in me. I'm an object to them. (laughs) It's like, I'm just a thing they saw and pointed at and named and they moved on. Didn't engage with me at all. I don't know if that's because they don't like me or. It's a pandemic, John. Right. Well, we were outside. We were at a distance. (laughs) I have to shout after them. Who are you? Maybe they're afraid that you're going to to do an investigative journalism piece on them. Maybe I'll humiliate Taylor on them. Yeah. Speaking of Taylor, she did text and say that we should reschedule. Okay. Well, we can keep doing whatever we're doing here. This was originally going to be like a Mickey Moore wrap up, but we can cover. It was it was a very long agenda, so we can continue to cover. All right. Like, uh, you know, it probably won't go on very long, but we can talk talk a little bit about what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, I have actually been recognized multiple times from just appearing on your podcast. Yeah. Which is a very strange experience for me. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the most fascinating one was, uh, Conrad Zibikowski <laughs> <laughs> came up to me and talked to me as though we had known each other for a long time. And it's like, Oh, Okay. Yeah, people think they I, know you. 
yeah. And, you know, I knew him from the context of his work and from having, you know, seen him in video form uh, on your podcast. And, you know, so we were able to hold up a conversation, but it was very strange for me to be, you know. Yeah. We're we're coming into people's living rooms at this point. It's on YouTube. At least a hundred people. Uh, you know, I shouldn't say at least because it's often not a hundred people who watch on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're we're coming into dozens of people's living rooms, Jason. They feel like you become a part yeah. of the family. I think they rely on you. Um, yeah, that's that's terrifying. Um, which is although, why I feel I feel guilty that it's been two weeks since the the election. Yeah. We have we haven't checked in with people to tell them how to feel. That's right. You know, I know that you have been looking for someone to tell you that it's going to be okay. That the yeah. the the world isn't going to end on January second. Um, the city won't crumble. Um, you know, I I do feel bad that so many people's lives won't get the material improvements that they could have if votes had gone the other way. But, you know, it's still the struggle and it's still something that we should be doing for people who have it worse than us. It's going to be a slog for two years until the next uh, city council election in 2023. It's going to be a long slog, though a shorter slog than usual. But campaigns are going to be starting up in less than a year. Like people normally start thinking about running for city council like a year before and that's yeah. next year 2022 these campaigns are going to be ramping up again yeah it's going to be like some mitra jalali effort where you know you just have to campaign continuously for a couple of years and an- another thing that's coming up now at the charter commission is the idea of even year municipal elections yeah so we could we could do this in 23, 25. Are they going to go again in 26? <clears throat> and, you know, I should say this is very early stages. It would require the Charter Commission to go through their process and then potentially put that on the ballot to have. Because right now city elections happen in odd years. The right. proposal is to move them to even years, which came right. up a few years ago, but was abandoned because they didn't know if Hennepin County could pull it off doing like a hybrid ballot with normal elections and rank choice on the same ballot, but they can do that. And so yeah, there's a potential we're going to have a lot of city elections this decade. Well, uh, according to um, the, uh, the wedge live um, Sergeant at arms, Who's and, that? Uh, Josh Martin. Okay. Um, uh, the next year in Minneapolis that there won't be an election is 2027. We shouldn't spend too much time talking about this, but uh, just something yeah. to keep an eye on. Also, yeah. strong mayor passed. Jacob Fry is about to be a strong mayor. Does that does that take effect on December 2nd? Is that how that yes. works? He's officially strong. Correct. Yes, he can officially block city council from talking to whomever in the departments he wants to. And uh, Lisa Benner tweeted something about a conversation she had with uh, the city coordinator's office and some other people 
Like maybe we won't have committees next year. Why would we not have committees? That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't feel good about Strongmare. Yeah, for all of the talk about how there wasn't a plan for question two, the, the details around question one have been very, uh, very vague as well. Yeah, we'll work them out as we go. The city council is going to need its a, a, a big investment in extra staff for them. If And it's not if, it's going to take effect. We have a strong mayor system now. I, really? I don't know how much money they can put into that this year, considering the, the levy has already been set, right? Right. But yeah, if they're going to act as a a legislative body that is the the balance to the now strong mayor that will redefine a lot of their their um, capacity. You can't have department staff who answer to the mayor being the ones that enable the legislative function of the city council because the mayor can weaponize that. Right. As we as we tried to warn people before the election. Right. So I hope uh, you're good with investing lots more in city council staff. I hope that actually happens. Otherwise, we've hobbled the city council. Right. And I mean, I've seen some people commenting as well that, oh, maybe in the future, the city council will be moved to part time. And should they should their salaries be cut and things like that, which if that's the result of the strong mayor amendment like that should have been, I think that is something that should have been (laughs) widely publicized to say, you know, this is what you're really moving for is to reduce the city council to, to basically a part-time function of the city. I have also heard rumblings of that. I don't know how serious it is, but yeah, I think it's mainly people just asking the question like, Oh, is that what's going to happen? But I've heard it speculated that that's the goal of a particular council member to like chart a course where the city council is. And you, you can guess that this council member is in Southwest Minneapolis. I have no idea if it's true, but I'm just going to say it's potentially a council member in Southwest Minneapolis who would like to take uh, the council to part-time cut the pay. I think there are, there are a lot of people um, who are invested in that sort of an outcome. Um, you know, the, the concept of, like, was it Grover Norquist who said that he didn't want to destroy the government or he didn't want to k- get rid of the government, just wanted to shrink it until he could drown it in a bathtub or yeah, something shrink like it, that? Shrink it down small enough so you could, like, grab it by the neck and drown it in a bathtub. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, there are definitely people who belong in that faction of government hating um, and just wanting to throw sand in the gears until everything grinds to a halt. Right. So that their, their business interests can um, run unfettered. Yeah. This is about efficiency, Jason, the, being very efficient at either doing nothing or serving the very powerful interests who now can just focus all their millions on electing this mayor and the next mayor. Right. 
So coming up in 2022, talking about the future, we have the Hennepin County attorney election. We've got a bunch of commissioners up. I think we verified that uh, the Minneapolis county commissioners are up for re-election in 2022. That's what we have to look forward to. I, I think I would like to talk to some of the candidates for county attorney, even though I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how much value I bring to that conversation, but nobody else is probably going to talk to them for a while. So maybe they'll come on and talk to me. I'm sure, you know, that at least some of them would enjoy talking to you. I think there's four candidates. Yeah. I think, you know, it would, it'll be interesting to, to see if you can speak with some of the, um, the county commissioners as well. It's true. Yeah. I kind of overlooked them. Yeah. Um, and obviously they're, you know, the sheriff's race, that's going to oh, be man. an important one. I forgot about the sheriff. Well, Dave Hutchinson, another one who came out and, uh, appeared on TV to, uh, campaign against question yeah. two. In addition to our police chief, I don't know if you saw my tweet today about an elected official, uh, asking the ethics <laughs> officer. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Uh, that was kind and of the funny. The ethics officer saying that it was a, <clears throat> a ruse. So some unnamed elected official asks, do you think it would be all right for me to do a press conference explaining my position and recommendations on the charter amendment questions with the MPD symbols behind me on a big screen and with an MPD officer in uniform at my side? This question was asked by an elected official of the city's ethics officer. And uh, <laughs> the ethics officer explained... With all due respect, you are not asking about something you intend to do. Your hypothetical is a pretext to get an opinion on the outcome of matters of current controversy. I will not be issuing such an opinion. Yeah. We're also we're also waiting for the chief's reappointment, which right. should have come down by now. He was he was nominated by the mayor like late October 2018 for a three-year term. We've received no word yet on whether the chief is coming back, whether he feels supported enough to do another three years or not. What yeah. do you think about that, Jason? It, would it be a bad sign if Rondo decided this This is a mess? I'm out of here? I, I think it would say a lot about what he thinks of the Minneapolis Police Department as much as it would say what he thinks about the political structure. Cause we gave him everything he wanted. Right. Um, yeah. He, his candidate won the mayorship. He, you know, his, his positions on the ballot questions came through. Um, you know, everybody has pointed out how close he is to his retirement. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I expect that Mayor Fry will nominate him for reappointment. He will be reappointed. And then in the spring or summer, he'll announce that he's retiring. Oh, okay. And that will, you know, he'll just try to fade off into yeah, I can see a partial his retirement. Term. If he doesn't come yeah. back, that's kind of a disaster for Fry because the message that sends is this is a, this this police department is a trash fire. It's unsalvageable and I want no part of it. I think totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just, I don't, I never 
thought that it was fair to put all of that <laughs> the reform that need that needs to happen on one person's shoulders um but certainly Jacob Fry and all of Minneapolis pack just squarely put everything on on Toronto and said you know he is the he is the one who is if we, we can't afford to lose him, the, the community loves him. And I think that while the community made a very large investment in Chief Rondo with this election, um, and certainly Chief Rondo used up a lot of his, his political capital on this election, um, he has given no assurances that he'll be here for very long. Should we talk about operation safety now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they characterized some of their projections were wrong. Like they projected user error by look, I love that operation safety now is projecting. They have like a decision desk where they project outcomes of races. Yes. <clears throat> user Arab in ward two. Goodman, yeah. Kosky, Porter. They were projecting Porter in ward five. That turned out not to be wrong. I mean, it turned out not to be right. Same with Ward 2. Rainville, Palmasano. Those are the smart and sensible candidates. Yes. Delusional and dangerous. We have three candidates. Chavez in Ward 9. Chogtai in Ward 10. Payne in Ward 1. Elliot Payne's delusional and dangerous? Yeah. He didn't fall in line with them, so he must be, right? Then we have the weak wafflers. My personal favorite category. Uh, Osmond sounds like a, Yeah, it sounds like a, some specials at Denny's. Yeah, this is a great Denny's menu. Osmond, Jenkins, and Johnson. I would... Yeah. You, you know what I felt? And I'll, I'll flash this on the screen on YouTube. So, you know, please, please watch on YouTube for the uh, Operation Safety Now graphic. Uh, two weeks late. You'll love it. Operation safety then. Yeah. I think a lot of these groups are going to go away, right? Like uh, in two years, it won't be all of Minneapolis. That's going to fade away. They will, they will have created some new organization. Yeah, it'll be, be back in you know, 2023. citizens for the the redevelopment of Minneapolis or something like that. And speaking of Elliot Payne, I kind of, I, I like him so much that I felt bad when he got elected. I did. That's, <laughs> that's a, an emotion you feel in a terrible election year. The people you like who won, you, you feel bad for them for having to walk into that stuff. Who, who do you it's, feel yes. bad for? Who do you like that got elected and you feel bad for them because they got elected? Um, I mean, I think, you know, Jason Chavez and Aisha Chugtai, you feel bad Our, for him? I'm I'm very happy and excited that they won, but I feel like those two are going to take the brunt of a lot of uh, attacks from the Operation Safety Now and all of Minneapolis and the the kind of fry um, traditional DFL powers. Mm-hmm as being, you know, too young and too inexperienced and too um, delusional and dangerous, I guess, to, to be on, on the city council. Yeah. Um, I remember, I remember the Aisha episode 
where we talked yeah. about the just the the racism, the just the 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 negativity, the hostility experienced yeah. as a woman of color running for office. Well, that that gets amplified when you're when you're elected, and right. uh, even and, uh, you know, even in a calm, relatively calm period in city politics, you're going to take a beating over some things. And I look back on things and realize how quaint it used to be. This is not right. a fun. This is not a fun time to be an elected official in Minneapolis at all. No, um, and you know I think especially looking back at the last, you know, especially I think the last four years of the Lisa Bender um, presidency of the city council, um, you know, the, the misogynistic attacks that she's faced and the, you know, just bad faith arguments and things like that, that have just been hurled at her nonstop. I don't, I think that is not going to be any better for Aisha. And I think, you know, those same things are going to face Jason, although he won by a huge margin in ward nine. So I don't know that he's necessarily going to be getting that from his constituents so much as, um, you know, people who live in South and Southwest Minneapolis and just feel like, you know, they should continue to troll him. Um, we can also talk about the fact that uh, the Ward 2 race is getting a recount, a, manda- a mandatory recount. 19 votes. So final round votes for Robin, 4,056. Final round votes for Yusra Arab, 4,037. That's 19 yeah. votes. Yeah, I'm not sure how likely it is to be overturned because typically uh, a lot of votes don't change. I'm not sure what the math, how the math works out on a like a city council ward where you're talking about eight thousand or so votes. I don't know if it's likely that 19 votes will flip, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility, I guess. Yeah, could yeah. Find a, I mean, could it- find a bag of votes. <laughs> in the wrong precinct. <laughs> yeah, um, they, yeah, they could just be in in someone the trunk of someone's car, like in uh, in Wisconsin back in what was that twenty twelve, something like that. Should should we remember? We've talked a little bit about Elliot Payne and Kevin Reich, and how I yep. feel bad. I feel bad Elliot Payne walking into the city hall because he seems like a nice man. So should we talk about Ward 3? Should we mourn Steve Fletcher? I think the the kids say pour one out, don't they? Yeah. Let's let's go with that. I'm not going to say that. You you can say it. Will you say it? I'm older than you are, John. Right. So it would be even weirder if you said it. Right. But uh, we... Yeah, let's pour one out for Steve Fletcher. This is where we do the... uh, the cork do we pop a cork when we pour one out how how does pouring one out work no you it's like pouring some beer out on the on the gutter so the sound effect would just be like a fizzy a fizzy drink uh dissolving into the sand i guess sure 
Maybe maybe I'll add that sound effect. Maybe I won't. You you all have imaginations. You can imagine the sound effect of pouring yeah. one out for Steve Fletcher. I like Steve Fletcher. It's 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 too bad that he's got to go. And maybe it will do a little Sarah McLaughlin as we go through these names. Sure. Sad to see you go. Uh, sad sad to see Michael Rainville arrive on the scene. Barb's cousin, Barb Johnson, former Minneapolis City Council president. Very yeah. very conservative family. I would. So I use the word conservative a lot, and it's all relative in Minneapolis. And there are certainly DFLers who I call conservative, but I I guarantee you they vote for Joe Biden. They're still Democrats. The right. Rainville family, I I wonder just how Republican this family is based on some of the positions they take. The fact that Barb has gone on to a career endorsing Republicans for the county board, the fact that Michael Rainville uh, threw a homeless person's sleeping bag into the river yeah. one, at one point, which is something I didn't know had appeared in a newspaper article until after the election. Just discovering yeah. that story. Just, yeah, you know his his background as a strong male mini north north east Minneapolis leader or something like that, and just whatever. an all around all around belligerent doofus claimed he was yeah. going to go to the state legislature and pass gun reform, and I don't know if he believes that or if he's just a not very smart person. But uh, bad things on the horizon for Ward Three with Michael Rainville in charge. He will he will serve the private sector. Do whatever yeah. they want. And Ward 4, yeah. we're, we're losing Philippe Cunningham. Yeah. Strong um, voice on public safety, a public health approach to public safety, adding more tools to the toolbox. Sad to see yeah. you go, Philippe. Yeah, I think Philippe it will, will be greatly missed. I know that he had acknowledged that, you know, he lost a lot of his joy and drive in the past few years from constant transphobic harassment and homophobic harassment and things like that from, um, you know, people in his ward and out. And, you know, that's a tragedy that yeah. um, somebody who is one of the more thoughtful and intelligent and creative members of the city council um you know yeah. not really having it in themselves to to push to continue to represent people because of that and he's not just saying that when he says like he was robbed of his joy or however he put it like i could see that happening to him over time there was yeah. nobody happier to be doing his job than philippe cunningham when he was first elected like that stood out to me uh, this person is extremely into this job, extremely happy and welcoming and like wanting to engage with people. And by the end, he, he had been like, he appeared to be decimated yeah. by the end. It was not, not fun to see. No. Okay. Ward five, Jeremiah Ellison overcame the challenge from uh, Crystal Porter and uh, the odious Victor Martinez, as Jason puts it. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Victor Martinez, thankfully, uh, you know, finished in third place. Hopefully that's enough of a repudiation of him uh, and his beliefs that he won't be popping up again. Um, you know, for... 
a lot of a lot of this race i you know have thought that he is more of a dangerous type of politician than mickey moore um or michael rainville you know who's very much a you know just sort of a pro-business establishment kind of guy but you know you're probably not going to see michael rainville come out in favor of uh ending abortion in minnesota mm-hmm. um Whereas that's definitely something that Victor Martinez would use his platform to advocate for and things like that. So. And uh, moving forward, Jeremiah Ellison is probably like the elder statesman of the left side of the Minneapolis city council. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and so what's happening now among council members who were just elected and reelected, trying to figure out who the president's going to be. I think it's probably going to be Andrea Jenkins. I think they typically like to have unanimous votes for council president. doesn't mean that it was unanimous or that everyone wanted a particular person. They're just trying to, they're jockeying for like committee assignments. What are the new committees even going to be? And so maybe Jeremiah Ellison is vice president of the city council. I don't know. I don't yeah, know how much I, leverage the left side of the council has to say, you know, give us, give us our VP. Give me these right. assignments. That's what's happening now. It's a, it's all jockeying for what the next term is going to look like. Right. Um, yeah. I think Andrea will definitely be the council president unless I don't know, Paul Masano maybe somehow manages to push herself in there. I don't um, really doubt it. Yeah, I don't see that happening, but that's the only case that I can imagine. Um, and I think, you know, I could see Jeremiah make there being a strong case for Jeremiah, or I think Elliot Payne could, um, as a new voice, but still on that the progressive side, could you know, end up being that VP as well. That's, you know, it's a really fascinating circumstance now that the, the city council is a majority people of color. Right. Um, you know, that there are more non-white people than white people on the council. And I think that's going to kind of make a difference in how, how some of these things look to people. Moving to Ward 6, Jamal Osman won re-election. Don't have to spend a ton of time on that. <clears throat> he's a he's a confounding character. I, I it's hard to pick out what his motivations are. I think I think his primary motivation seems to be his friendship with Mayor Fry a lot of the time. So I don't count on Jamal Osmond to to go against the mayor when it counts. Though I suppose no. he technically he may have vote. on some things yeah i mean he did cast the vote to override mayor fry's veto did on he the though? language of the he also like cast a vote to this is getting deep in the weeds but he cast a vote to uphold the veto and then they made a weird change and then he yep, voted and to then, override a different veto yeah and then he said you know we just basically need to get this done and even if I don't agree with this language, we need to move forward. And so he voted to override the veto, which was a really interesting 
turn of events. Lisa Goodman yeah. won. We can pour one out for Nick Core, I think. Yes. Um, you know, unfortunately, Lisa Goodman has really consolidated her power over the past couple of years, I think. Marshaled all of her her money and favors that are owed to her. I mean, she's consolidated power over the last uh, quarter century, which is the length of time she's been in office. I think after, she, you know, she came close to um, losing the endorsement in 2017, that she's really ramped up her efforts to, to yeah. kind of put her foot down on, on Ward 7. Yeah, she started as the youngest member of the city council back in uh, 1998. Oh. And is now uh, the longest serving <laughs> member of the council. Yeah. And probably will continue to be so. Yeah, for another quarter century. Andrew Jenkins won. We've talked about Andrew Jenkins. She had no opponent. Jason Chavez really stuck it to Mickey Moore. We'll talk about Mickey Moore in a future episode, so we won't talk too much about Jason Chavez, but thank you, Jason Chavez, for making sure we didn't have uh, Council Vice President Mickey Moore next term. That wouldn't have been fun. <laughs> we talked about Ward yeah. 10, that uh, we held Ward 10. It didn't flip conservative. We're losing Jeremy Schrader. Let's pour one out for Jeremy Schrader. Yeah, Emily Koski defeated Jeremy Schrader. I, I really like Jeremy Schrader. Sad to see him go. Yeah. Me too. Um, I think he, you know, really did hold the line on a lot of progressive causes um, that a lot of people maybe didn't expect him to be the the person at the forefront of the, the fights in, but um, I'm glad he did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, he's paying the price now with a lot of the, you know, white resentment that really showed up in this in South and Southwest Minneapolis. This is he really, is he really paying a price though? He doesn't have to do this job anymore. It's another <laughs> thing. There, there are people that I'm actually happy for that they lost. They get to move on with their lives. <laughs> well, I mean, I imagine that he's not happy that he's going to be represented by Emily Kosky. Yeah. Such a, he has a lot of integrity, Jeremy Schrader. I, th I think Ward 11 is so much worse off yeah. without Jeremy Schrader. I mean, I think Erica Mauter talked a lot about, you know, her experiences in, in that part of the city. And I think, you know, so a lot of that was a harbinger to what happened in, in this election. Should we pour one out for Nancy Ford in Ward 12? Uh, no, oh, okay. I think anybody who hates homeless people as much as Nancy Ford doesn't, yeah, that was, doesn't that get was a, warned. That was a weird story that I kind of Googled up at the the last minute before the election. She had like been tailing yeah. panhandlers. Yeah. Um, if you've ever, for I mean, multiple hours in a week, like she yeah. devoted she, her life for a while to like harassing yeah, to, to standing out next to them on the streets with signs that say, do not give this person money, things like that. It's a weird I thing. Can, to I can remember time. when I lived over there, I would drive past and see her out there. So yeah. congratulations, Andrew Johnson. 
Yeah. Congratulations on your, your max donations from the landlord lobby. Oh, um, you're not even going to let him have a honeymoon period. No, he's, <laughs> he didn't just get elected. He's, he's an incumbent. I think, you know, anybody that the duplex chick ha- has on their, uh, on their website as a fellow landlord should, uh, sh- we should, we should also have some some suspicion of his motives. He's a, he's a swing vote now, Jason. He's firmly oh, in the fine. middle he's, of the council. He's, he's not voting against me. I can say what I'd like about him. I have a, a very strong suspicion that Andrew Johnson has no idea who I am or what I say about him. He's one of these people who, who watches the podcast on YouTube. He's one of the <laughs> dozens of people who recognizes you on the street because he watches the podcast on YouTube. I find that um, hard to believe. In case Andrew Johnson is listening, I, I want to distance myself from Jason Garcia here. That's fine. These are Jason's opinions, not mine. They certainly are. Yeah. As you know, I I am not a, a straight newsman, as you called yourself. Yeah. So I I'm allowed to to voice the opinions of people who are uh, are actively harmed by landlords and and their kind. Ward thirteen. Let's pour one out for Mike Norton, who mounted a, a valiant challenge to Linnea Palmasano. Goodbye, Mike yeah. Norton. Pour a nice. beer out of the frunk. Yeah. <clears throat> It was nice knowing you, Mike. Yeah, I hope he comes back and you know runs for some other things. Yeah, he, he could probably just enjoy his life. He seemed like somebody who just ran because Linnea Palmasano needed an opponent and no one else was going to do it, and he he did a good job making sure there that point of view was broadcast in Ward Thirteen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know if if he has an interest in running for more offices or anything, but I do think that he has a, a point of view that is unique to a lot of Minneapolis politics. And, you know, for all of the talk about so many of the quote unquote pragmatic Democrats and things like that, I, th- I thought that, Mike Norton was one of the few people who could really genuinely describe themselves as pragmatic, um, uh, as you know, the word it actually means, not just people's reinterpretation of it. And I'm reading your takeaways here. Jacob Fry still never received a majority of votes for mayor. Is this an RCV flaw, a ranked choice voting flaw, a sign of how divided the city is? might be a sign that we need to like rank be able to rank five candidates maybe if votes didn't get exhausted we would uh have candidates receiving winning candidates receiving a majority of the votes i don't know yeah i mean it's just i i find it interesting that you know we were one of the the big positives of ranked choice voting was supposed to be getting a majority in every election and you know now we have a a two-term mayor who has won by plurality both times although without ranked choice voting he would have just been elected with even smaller percentages of the vote right but again that was that was what we understood the old system to be ranked choice voting was supposed to solve that problem and it doesn't seem like it has at the risk of going extremely long here 
I'm, I wish we had put more effort into defeating question one because we got so close. We all, we almost got there. I think if more people had known and thought about it a little more instead of, we, we focused on question two a lot. Question one yeah. kind of flew under the radar. It had this innocuous wording. Executive mayor, legislative council didn't seem like much of a change, but it's a it's a bigger change than people realize, and it uh, yeah. only succeeded by a, a slim one percent of the vote. That's too bad. Yeah, I've heard you know I've heard that people are contemplating legal challenges. Um, really, but on what basis? Yeah, let's not get into that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, over 43% of voters supported the Department of Public Safety. What are the odds it would have passed last year if the Charter Commission hadn't pocket, pocket vetoed it? This still shows strong support for something outside of our current MPD structure. I think that's true. I think the delay of a year by the Charter Commission was extremely meaningful. Obviously, we, we've had... Uh, a big increase in violent crime in Minneapolis over the last year and a half. It's just, it's hard to overcome that and people retreating into just fear politics. I get it. I don't like hearing the gunshots. I don't like seeing news about carjackings, having people traumatized by violence. It's not good. The question for me really was, MPD is is just has just disintegrated. They're not they're not effective. The staff hasn't been cut. City council has continued to fund cops, right. but they've they've quit. This department is not working. Yeah. Not only for I mean, the the things you want armed law enforcement to respond to, like people with guns, but all the other tasks that we have them performing. It would have been nice if we could build up a little resilience by devoting some money to these alternative responses. But, right. Uh, you know, that I, it's a shame that more people didn't see the MPD protection racket for what it was exposed to be over the past year and a half. Um, you know, especially considering that on multiple occasions, the city council voted to authorize more funding for MPD, even when there was no plan for how they were going to spend that money. Um, And they have a budget surplus this year because they haven't been able to spend all the money that they were given. Yeah. Um, They had so much money that the city council cut the horse money. MPD had so much money left over that they're like, we're going to spend money on horses anyway. We got the money don't have any people to spend it on training a cop takes so much time and we're going to be on the same hiring trajectory with with our current council as we would have been with an even more progressive council like the hiring and training is in the pipeline people thought the election was about how many cops we're going to have we're going to have the same number of cops regardless in the short term because that trajectory is set and we can't make it go up anymore because of the city's training cops at their capacity. Although the city is uh, advertising on, or MPD is advertising on Twitter now looking for people to make lateral moves to MPD. 
Yeah, I saw that on a Fox 9 story, hiring people from other departments. Yeah, or trying to anyway. Yeah, one of the aspects of the story is that it's not something they've done in a long time, making these lateral hires. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's like an ethical thing, like we won't hire away from your department because we'd like you not to hire away the cops that we've trained, or if it's like we prefer to do our training in-house because we don't trust <laughs> we don't trust that you're doing yeah that you're in a, that you're training your your police to be as racist and right. violent as ours well, for, from the other perspective like maybe your police are even more racist and violent and poorly trained than ours are so that, that was kind of a red flag to me i don't know why lateral hires haven't been done is it is it a sign that that produces worse hires and we're just getting especially desperate now. Yeah, I want. I mean, it would be fascinating to know if there was data on things like that, or to be able to see the data as far as you know how that would lead to discipline and things like that. But um, unfortunately, all of that data will be held in secrecy for perpetuity. And also, uh, the mayor is making big promises about changing the culture. Meanwhile, cops are fleeing in droves. It's a sign that people don't want to do this job. It's getting getting hard to retain cops, hard to hire them. How exactly are we attracting better cops? That's a question I have. I, I assume that's just words from the mayor, and the reality is we're probably getting worse cops, and they're coming into yeah. the department in an era when the department is is basically has decided not to do their job, take the long way to calls. I I have a lot of concerns about the kinds of cops we're hiring, what lessons they will learn as they come into this new department. This is not a golden age for policing, I don't think. So the idea that we're going to be getting just a culture change at MPD through this very difficult time in our city's history, I'm very skeptical of it. Yeah, I... I am as well. I don't think that there's really, there's been no solid plan communicated by the mayor or the chief. Um, You know, there have been a lot of buzzwords thrown around and a lot of dismissal of people who criticize them, but no real concrete plan of action. And now they don't have to provide one to anyone because there, there is no, no one besides the mayor so, you know, it'll just continue to be whatever they decide is best. Well, Jason, this episode was derailed entirely by Taylor having technical difficulties, but we went on for an hour and 22 minutes anyway. Did we yeah. salvage it? I think we did. And we'll have, we, Taylor, uh, we'll have Taylor on uh, for a future remembrance of the yeah. events of 2021 possibly about a candidate that I'm not even going to name. I'm still embarrassed to say that name as well. You should be, although this is what's going to bring, bring the wedge live that Pulitzer prize. It will be. This was a good conversation, Jason. It was nice, nice to have a, have a talk with a friendly face because uh, I still feel bad. Well, I'm sorry that you still feel bad, John. Maybe, uh, Next time I see you out for a walk, 
around the ledge, I'll uh, treat you to some ice cream from Bebe Zito. And you can drown your sorrows that way. Thank you. Thank you to Jason Garcia for joining me. I'm your host, John Edwards. This has been the Wedge Live Podcast. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.